0: Dennis is digging a hole. The hole is deep. The place is two miles above the sea. The air is thin and he's running out of breath. earlier back in the safety of suburban Dublin. This seemed just a grand adventure when Dennis and his friend Tom were planning the trip.
1: abroad, road
2: bike? Yeah, and in Denver. In, in Denver, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. And what is the, the Colorado Trail?
2: It's like a week we lay 150 times longer. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we, we were maintaining a, a, a portion of it. And last year we, we refurbished a mile. Yeah. When the snow was falling in Colorado in the, in the winter, and they start to melt in the
3: spring, they wash away like the trail. Oh, okay. So we go in now and we fix it up. Very good. I'm
0: For years within walking circles, I'd been hearing about this Colorado trail how Irish volunteers went over each year to work repairing the trail. 520 miles along the Rocky Mountains, right up there on the roof of America, it was spoken of with pilgrim reverence, as if it was somewhere mythical. And then there were the other stories, the campfire camaraderie, the contact with real Americans and the crack. When I learned that Dennis was going to volunteer for this trip, I decided to tag along just to see for myself.
4: The trail itself is, it varies because of its length. It's 520 miles, starts in Denver, finishes in Durango or vice versa, whichever way you want to do it. But it runs in some sections along a a road, but in general it is cross-country and it is approximately two and a half feet wide and it will be cleared of vegetation up to the height of a person on a horse.
2: And what will the weather be like in there? it be nice. it be nice. Yeah. Be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very night, it's very cold at night, has It's very cold. It gets cold very quickly. <laughs>
4: yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. oh.
2: no, would you do okay.
4: next year? We I mean, were full for this year, but next year, if you're. Um, you're, you're send us on the literature, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all volunteers there. You contribute what you can. Some people, who haven't been that high before, may suffer from mountain sickness or altitude sickness. Um, having said that, you won't definitely. Yes. Mm-hmm. and I don't think Joe, you'll have a no. I don't. So. I'll give you a little
2: bit of orientation here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. On the moi. No. We can tour over this bit. This, this is all the plains. So there's, this is this is Denver. Okay. Castle Castle Rock is here, right? Okay. Now, where we're going to
4: is down to, across here. I thought you went down to, where's that? Past Colorado, Colorado, Colorado Springs. Springs. That's right. Colorado Springs. Turn right.
2: They turn right and across this way to Cannon City,
3: Fremont. Rocky Mountain High,
2: Colorado Rocky Mountain High,
3: Colorado
2: My name is Dennis O'Donoghue and I'm Irish. I'm from Ireland. I live in Dublin and uh, I'm a taxi driver. So um, I'm on holidays now in Colorado. And uh, we're going to shoot the breeze for the next week on the Colorado Trail.
0: Dennis is overwhelmed by the landscape.
5: What's the name of that mountain over there, now? It's, it's called a butte. The butte. It's not a mountain. B-U-T-T-E, is it? B-U-T-T-E, as in Butte, Montana. OK.
2: What kind of a car is that she's driving?
5: It's a Chevy, Malibu. You're not taking the left or right. See, I no, no, can indicate our straight. Oh Diddy, stop, you can't stop. You get a hundred dollar
2: ticket. Go ahead. You get a hundred dollar ticket
5: Perhaps
0: you it wasn't copy. such a good idea allowing him behind the wheel.
2: Well, we have a new experience with us now because we we hope to uh, uh swap our culture and music between the uh Americans and the Irish. And uh I'm hoping to learn some new tunes over here. Uh, especially bluegrass because it's one of my favourites and uh, we have a banjo player and a guitar player and a harmonica player and a tin whistle player and hopefully we'll meet some other people on the trail that are of American uh, extract and that they'll be able to swap some stories and music with us and maybe even blend in with us some of the songs so hopefully that's
0: what'll happen Dennis is anxious to absorb Uh, the culture and with each passing mile marker, his American accent deepens.
2: Been on a saddle all my life.
5: All <laughs> oh, since I've known him, he's the, he's the typical urban cowboy. Also, uh, along this road going south, you have the main railroad going from Montana all the way going down to Colorado Springs well it actually goes all the way to Texas however this road is used for hauling coal from western Colorado Wyoming and Montana to the power stations down in Pueblo so shortly we should see one of those big 100 uh, car trains
0: Wide
3: open mountain, you can watch your roll.
0: The SUV labours up the mountain and every knife, fork, and spoon shakes, rattles, and rolls.
2: Well, we've uh, we're on a dirt track for the last half an hour and we're heading to a place called Blank's Callum. And we're up the best part, I'd say, of eight to nine thousand feet. No, 10, almost ten thousand feet. looks pretty good. The sky is real blue. And, uh, you can see the ice caps on top of the mountains. So it's looking good so far.
0: After days on the road, the Irish contingent set up camp and Tom takes in his new surroundings.
4: We're situated in a fairly large meadow, which is surrounded by trees and is bounded on one side by uh, Mount Chavonneau, which is uh, 14,200 feet high and uh, has a, an imprint on it of the Angel of Chavonneau, which is basically of uh, a figure with arms upraised when there's snow, but obviously there's been a lot of rain last week and most of the snow is gone now.
0: And as dusk falls, the crew get to know each other around the campfire.
6: Uh, Before we get started, tonight's going to be fairly short. I'd like to give a standing ovation to those folks who got here early and put this camp together. Many hands make quick work, as we all know on the trail. Uh, I think you all know me. I'm John Light, uh, the crew leader for this crew. And most of you I've worked with in the past. There's a few new faces. Uh, The crew starts out normally with a few people that know each other quite well, some people that don't know anybody at all. And by the end of the week, it's like you've known each other for a very long time because you've shared so many common experiences on the trail, and in camp and around the campfire. Okay, uh, once again, just a reminder, uh, personal responsibility to take care of yourself. We, No one else knows how you feel. I'd like, Frank, if you would, talk briefly about the symptoms of onset of dehydration and possible high altitude sickness. Feeling faint, weak, having some headaches.
7: So if we get to that point where you're feeling weak, you're getting headaches, let somebody know what's going on. So (laughs) let's be vigilant. And if you feel something coming on, let us know what's going on. Okay, so we can keep you down here, keep you away from that hard work. And the symptoms of high-altitude sickness are basically a headache, weakness, feeling weak, uh, nausea, you get nauseated, uh, and your headache can come and go, then it can come and go, then it can get real severe, okay? So if you feel something coming on, uh, talk
6: about it and let somebody know. So, uh, let's start with... Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> New boy. New boy. <laughs> no, go ahead, Tom, if you would, and we'll just go around and I'd like to hear who you are, where you're from, and what brings people to the fair.
4: Tom Croke from Dublin and Ireland. Uh, this is my seventh trail, and uh, and the first experience was so good, I had to c- come back again and again. Unfortunately, addictive counselling hasn't worked, and so here <laughs> I am again this year. And um, the flight on the way out, we did some maths, and uh, the trail, the, the crew this year, we reckon, is 25% Irish, and uh, <laughs> one eighth. And family. And uh, contrary to popular belief, we are not going for re- regime change. I don't think we'll cope with the number of prisoners we'd have to take. So we're looking forward to a great week and we, we look forward to, to working with you all. Thank you.
2: <laughs> My name is Dennis O'Donoghue. I am from Dublin in Ireland. I'm one of the Irish crew and I'm delighted to be here. And it's really nice to meet all you people. And thank you very much for having me. I'm Noel Coyne, I live in Highlands
5: Ranch, just south of Denver. Originally I'm from the west coast of Ireland, and I'm so honored to be invited, so thank you.
7: It's about 7.15 in the morning and uh, just spectacular and uh, looks like we're going to have a great day. I never worked on the Continental Divide Trail before. Thought it would be a good opportunity to come up and see some of the country and do some work and make some difference uh, on our trails and very enjoyable, very enjoyable so far. We're going to start our work today and uh, building a turnpike and it's going to be a very labor-intensive, hot uh, project we're gonna work on today. About 16 people. And we're gonna move some stringers probably that weigh up close to 800 pounds. So that's gonna be very interesting trying to do that. And So yeah. We're at about 9,800 feet here, and we're surrounded by the Collegiate Peaks, Collegiate Range, in uh, South Central Colorado. And several 14,000 foot peaks that are jutting up from where our campsite is here in a meadow and absolutely spectacular and a lot of snow still in the high country not as much as normally in the spring there's still an awful lot of snow up in the uh, above timberline and uh, just absolutely magnificent beautiful bluebird clear day and no wind we had winds yesterday of about 30 miles an hour coming through
4: this is the biggest Irish contingent we've ever had here and uh, I think everybody has enjoyed the experience of having the Irish here because we don't seem to take life too seriously. Frank, who is the um, ex-US Forestry Service, he's playing hurling with with, uh, Brian Fagan from Ireland, a veteran of five Colorado Trail crews. And uh, he's here with his son, who's also playing hurling at the moment, and uh, his grandson was playing earlier on with some of the American children. So it's been a a great cross-cultural experience for uh, everybody here on the trail. I was
2: wearing drive breeches, digging ditches, pumping ditches, pulling switches. I was working oh, no. on the railway. How'd that grab you? Oh,
4: you. Right by
5: the
7: short hairs. What, the <laughs> what do you say? By the short hairs.
3: <laughs>
6: <laughs> Let's all get our shovels and everything.
0: In there, huh? The work is hard and the days are long but there's always time to sing around the campfire. Dennis gets his wish and learns to sing like a real American. <laughs> Tonight may be fun, but they've all been warned about life in the high mountains. Tomorrow will bring trouble to one of the most experienced volunteers on the crew. My name's Roy Seayard, and I'm from I'm from Arkansas. What do you hope to do today, now?
1: As <laughs> little work is possible. <laughs> I'm on the log carrying crew, I think. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, we have a good time and have fun and uh, get something accomplished. You know. I I spent um, ten months in Vietnam and uh, with a recon recon team. Uh, I was the medic of a six man recon team, and. uh, I'm not bragging but I was wounded twice. Uh the third t- the second time I was wounded uh I was wounded very seriously and uh spent 3 months in, in a naval hospital in, in in the states and uh then I was I was discharged got a, a medical. And then a medical discharge an honorable discharge it from, it from that so uh, I have two purple hearts. Um I'm not proud but I guess I am proud but uh uh it's um uh, I lost a lot of, a lot, lot of, a lot of, lot of uh, comrades. See, we we got into a bad situation where like we, we com- just practically yeah. got wiped. Out. Uh, Every, we had it, it, yeah. we, we had everybody was either killed or or, or see, yeah. wounded seriously, and and I was very fortunate to get out alive. Uh, I mean, I was just very fortunate to get out alive. And um, we had a, um, what they call a reactionary force came in where we were held up and 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 trying to hold the enemy, the North Vietnamese back. And we, we held them back. And we had we had, of course we had gunships, helicopter gunships working our our, our perimeter where we were, which we was on a hilltop. And the helicopter sat down and somebody came out and drugged me on the helicopter and that's the last thing I remember. I passed out and woke up three days later on a on a hospital ship off the coast of Vietnam. And,
0: Roy may be a Vietnam veteran but the Irish contingent can hold their own when it comes to decorated heroes. Before this day is over Roy will be very glad of Tom's experience.
4: It was 1972 when on duty in Baldan on an August bank holiday uh, we were called out to uh, a rescue on Powerscourt waterfall where two English uh, teenagers had ignored the signs to not to climb and had the spirit of adventure overtook them and they, they went climbing and became trapped on the waterfall we were called out and uh, when we arrived there one of the the boys had been uh, had fallen to his death because uh, he had tried to get down slipped and his brother was still there so we landed because we couldn't see him at all because was actually uh, at the foot of a tree and we uh, tried to to get in to to, to rescue him, but unfortunately the uh, winds over the waterfall were just too high, and the power required to to maintain a hover was beyond what the aircraft was capable of so we went uh, to a field at the end of the powers court valley um, and fortunately i had a crewman who had a very strong grip and he managed to with his hand loosen the drain nut on the bottom of the fuel tank and uh, we drained about 90 gallons of fuel out of the helicopter Tighten up the nut again with his hand his bare hand and we went in and uh, we, this time we were able to, to rescue the, the young man by hovering initially at a tree height and letting down the um, cable but the 90 feet of cable wasn't enough to reach the, 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 the youth who was stuck on the, on the and the tree at the bottom of the tree, and nice the winch ballrio. operator who no, directs no, operations very said very very to me very to very come down, descend, lower and on. lower, and I saw the trees out of the corner of my left eye, and That's I said, uh, I can see branches, and he said, Yeah, you're okay. Come, keep coming down, and uh, we went down. And eventually, said he's <laughs> in contact with the survivor. We picked the young lad up, and he said to us, uh, My brother, is he okay? And we said, Well, he's gone to the hospital, and unfortunately, he died. But I think. Uh, For that particular rescue, uh, the three crew members were awarded the Distinguished Service Medal um, by the Defence Forces. And it's one of my proudest achievements that that I've actually been awarded that in in, in, uh, my military career.
1: Two tours of duty. Uh, the first one was with uh, the second, the second battalion, uh, Seventh Marines, and then my second tour was with the uh, recon unit.
3: So, uh,
1: when I was with uh, the the first, my first tour, I had a real, I had a real good hometown friend get killed, and I just felt like that I needed to do more. And, and being a being a medic, uh, you know, I, I felt like I needed to to put some more time in and. If I could save somebody's life, I could. If I could, you know, help some wounded guy, I could. And it was just something. I mean, I was um, I was 23 years old. You know, the average age of the Vietnam vet back in during the era during that Vietnam era was 19. I, I was a no guy. I, I'd already graduated from college at 21 and just joined right up. I wanted to be a helicopter pilot, but, but I flunked the night vision. <laughs> so then I decided to become a medic. And I wanted to help some way. And I always, I was always interested in, 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 in the medical field anyway, and uh, uh, it paid off. I mean, it 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 was tough. It it's it it was um it was hard to well you just it's just it's hard to describe because you, if you, that we have a saying. A lot of us old Vietnam vets have a saying: If you didn't go, you wouldn't know. Uh, a lot of us have to go get um, psychological help. I had to have that, and I'm not embarrassed about it at all. Uh, it's something that happens to a lot of us. It's it's called post-traumatic stress disorder, and uh, I was diagnosed with that. Uh, uh, I, I don't. I, it's hard for me to believe anybody uh, that was in situations in combat like I was that do not suffer from it to a certain degree. If you have nightmares. I still have nightmares. Um, I still have anniversary dates. What we call when events happened, I remember those dates. You know, uh, I've got uh, I've got one coming up July the 18th. You know, I had one May the first. Excuse me, May the fifth. I had an anniversary date, and then I'll have another one uh, November the third. Yeah, you because know, that's when I was wounded severely. And July the eighteenth is mine. I was I was I was wounded by a grenade, you know, slightly. I had shrapnel on my legs and the back of my head. And I was in the hospital twenty two days, just to fight the infection. Uh, but then, um, that's probably the the main thing that, that bothers me is the anniversary dates. You, know, you remember um, things that that happen on certain dates where where you had a bad incident.
0: Today will be yet another date in Roy's nightmare calendar. Within hours, he will collapse from dehydration and altitude sickness, and will need to be evacuated, once more by helicopter. Especially, I had one guy that was, uh,
1: had been there. He was, he, he was about. We used to call it, um, when you got short, you were a short timer. Uh, most guys spent anywhere from 12 to 13 months in Vietnam, and if they didn't. You know uh doing another tour they went back went back to the states or somewhere and um we had uh what we called uh after you know you get down to about thirty days you have a what do you call thirty days in a wake up so I mean the next day you wake up you're going anywhere home and I had guys that were didn't that were still out in out in, out on patrol and and during uh recon missions with with ten and fifteen days left in country and we'd get killed i mean spent you know, eleven and a half to twelve and a half months, and never had a scratch, but had been in had been in combat lots of times, and end up getting killed, just with a few days to go home. You know that, that that's war for you. It's, um, I, I didn't expect expect it uh, on the scale that I had in my mind when I enlisted and when I got got over there to Vietnam. I didn't expect it to be anything like it was. you know we were the United States of America. We were the most you know considered the most powerful country in the world. Um, we were faced with an with a, with a enemy or, or an army that was uh, very well determined, bound and determined to uh, to win their, their cause, and they did, and they did. This is my this is my therapy. This is my therapy, what we're doing right now, out here doing trail crew and meeting people like you guys uh, and the, all the guys from Ireland and everybody here. And uh, I do this every summer, and it, it is really, I'll be honest with you, it is part of my therapy. If I didn't have this and uh, a good supportive wife, um, I just I don't know. You know, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I can, yeah, I can go sit in a corner. I can go sitting over here by a tree and... I can get emotionally, and I can start crying, and all that kind of stuff. But um, with with the support that I have, uh, with family and friends, and and, and and mother nature, and this here, uh, this is this is what keeps me going.
0: The sun is at its hottest. The work is at its hardest, and someone notices. Roy has collapsed. <laughs>
6: hey, Rick.
0: Rick is here. Talk me out it. It's touch and go. Roy's heart rate is dropping dangerously and he slips in and out of consciousness. There's nothing for it anymore. A rescue helicopter is called. A medivac is his only chance for survival. But the landing zone is awkward and getting the chopper in, well, that'll be the tricky bit. The rotor blades reawaken Vietnam memories and Roy fights being stretchered onto the helicopter until the last possible moment.
6: risk is there for all of us to have that sort of thing. And, uh, of course, it's always a shock and surprise when it happens. And uh, everybody absolutely responded um, marvelously. And we had, we had really lucky from the standpoint of having a medical doctor in the crew. We had qualified first aid people, and we had registered nurses in the crew. And all of them came to the—and played their part. And then uh, the rest of the people, supportive, backed off, did their part, did everything they could, although they felt helpless in a lot of cases to, to do anything. Uh, the government agencies responded absolutely. From the, day, from the minute we called them until uh, someone arrived on site uh, to administer professional first aid in the form of the search and rescue people was about an hour and 15 minutes. About 10 minutes after that, the helicopter went. I guess who we had on the crew? one of the premier rescue helicopter pilots in the world in the form of Tom Croke from Dublin, Ireland, recipient of the DFC for rescues he made in in Ireland. So I just put him to the fore and told the Forest Service, this man understands landing zones better than anybody else. You listen to him. And he told the Forest Service what what needed to be done to get the helicopter in there. And the helicopter pilot, was entirely satisfied on After one pass, he came right in. And, and I've done helicopter LZs and all that before, but, um, you know, 40 years is a long time, and, and I'd forgotten, um, I guess, how much room it really takes if it's flat. Now, if it's a peak, it doesn't take as much room, but uh, I thought that was a lot bigger meadow than it was until I saw a the helicopter there, and it was much longer than the helicopter. <laughs> the way he had to come in. Well, a
4: helicopter evacuation was required for a medical emergency that had occurred to a member of the crew and the crew concept very much came into uh, being there because immediately we had a, a medical doctor, an Irish nurse uh, who almost completed his training, and a uh, US forestry um, official who coordinated the whole thing but who had no real experience of helicopter evacuation. This was the first one that he'd actually carried out. So we uh, assisted by, by... Because I had previously been involved with the Irish Air Corps' helicopter wing and uh, had been involved in search and rescue and in medical evacuations, was able to advise him on the sort of consideration that he should have when he was considering the landing site, uh, the directions from which the helicopter would approach, the wind directions that he would require, the communications required, and uh, other aspects of the lift that were going to maybe be a little bit strange for him. But he was very switched on and uh, it was very much a team effort that... John Lype, who is the the, the trail uh, boss, he is a wonderful leader and he knows how to get the best out of people. And I think that uh, that's my experience of the trail and I've thoroughly enjoyed it for the seven times I've been here. In spite of
0: medical warnings, Roy makes it back up the mountain. The crew are delighted when he steps into the firelight for the last jamboree.
6: and with well wishes from the other sports side. So Roy, you're much loved and so good to see you back.
1: Well, can I say one thing, John? Sure. I just want to say to everybody, that I, I feel like I let you guys down. We I mean, didn't. I've been out here for 11 years, and it's never happened. And, I, and I, for it to happen on the trail crew it, it first of all it's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I mean it's very embarrassing and um,
4: yeah, you I
1: I, I don't know. I mean I just I feel bad. I really feel bad. I, I feel bad about it. <laughs> and um uh, I mean I, I the I you know, I never even thought of any, anything that ever happened to anybody out here. I mean yeah. I've been on seventeen, eighteen, twenty crews, I don't know. And been a lot higher than this. And never, nothing's ever happened. I just, you know, I just feel like I let you go down. I really do. It's tough. Thank you. I'm glad I made it back. I mean, that was my goal was to get out of there and, and, and come back.
0: At the end of a very long week, Dennis and Noel inspect their improvements to the famous Colorado Trail.
2: Simplicity of the way that they organise the work. That when we came here on the first day, and all we saw was a piece of bog marsh which was very, very damp, and the trailers used to bypass that so as to get onto a dry piece of land but to look at it and to visualise how they thought about repairing that, Mm -hmm. to get the logs down, put them into position, cut them, and when you see it coming into place and see everything coming together, it's fascinating. Simple, but very, very effective. That's how Mm -hmm. I think. The work is very hard. You learn an awful lot. I've learned an awful lot. I thought I knew quite a bit, but I'm learning every day, Mm -hmm. and I think it's absolutely fantastic. The beauty about this too is that You forget everything. You really forget your past life that you're going back to or the life that you have been at all your life. You even forget the days of the week, which Mm. is absolutely marvellous. I haven't thought of a traffic light in over a week, Mm. you know, which is marvellous. There's no people, there's no rush of people. And as Tom said, you're just living with nature here. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to kick yourself every so often and say, well, I have to go back to this at some Mm. time
5: what i see that is absolutely outstanding is that everybody on the trail is working as a volunteer and everybody is so eager to get in there and do what has to be done rather than having to uh, be paid for the work that has to be done and i believe that if we were if we were paid to do what we we're doing we wouldn't put our heart into it like the way we're doing it right now and that is such that is something that is so unique everybody is eager to get out there in the morning and not leave until around 3 o'clock in the afternoon when it gets extremely hot. By tomorrow I think we should have our objectives met. It'll be be a magnificent path through through this bog and it'll be there, it'll be like that probably for the next 35 years until nature takes over again and there'll be somebody behind us to come back and redo it.